So, Bernie Sanders wins the Iowa caucus. Let's just, he won. They could say whatever they want. They could, they tried to rig it. He got the most votes uh, on the first ballot. He got the most votes on the second ballot. Okay, Bernie wins. Then, after the media props up Pete Buttigieg by declaring him the winner of the Iowa caucus, even though the majority of the results were not in, even though uh, he did not win the most votes, they gave him a 7 to 10 point bump in New Hampshire. Okay, we know this. So Bernie wins the New Hampshire primary. The narrative, because the corporate media exists not to give you the facts, it exists to try and produce an alternate reality that maintains the status quo. You would think, oh, guy's raising record amounts of money. He's got a youth movement. He's got uh, the most diverse coalition. Maybe the media would give him his due. Maybe, just maybe. Then, I mean, you looking at these polls? Are you looking at the polls that are coming out here? Nevada. Bernie, seven points. Seven points lead uh, over Biden. And by the way, caucuses are very, very difficult to poll. Uh, hopefully the last poll that comes out before the Nevada primary doesn't get spiked like in Iowa because PD's campaign uh, complains. Nevada also is pretty, pretty good state for Bernie considering he is crushing uh, all other candidates among Latinos. And Nevada, Jen, make sure I'm right on this. I believe Nevada is 25 to 30 percent Latinos. Big population. Uh, there you have Warren at 13 percent. We're going to get to Elizabeth Warren later because, honestly, you could call me a sexist if you want. It's time for her to drop out. And sorry, it's also time for Tulsi Gabbard to drop out. And sorry, oh, those are my two for right now. Elizabeth Warren, it's time to drop out. Tulsi Gabbard, sorry, like you, got to drop out. This is not the time for a message. You, we need to coalesce around the progressive choice. I believe Tulsi Gabbard will do that sooner or later. Not so sure about Liz. Tom Steyer bought his way to 11% in Nevada. And Mayor CIA, who basically was propped up by CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, The Washington Post, The Associated Press, to get an additional 10 points in New Hampshire, he's down at 10% because Latinos uh, and African Americans don't like him. Then you look at South Carolina. And thank you, Colin Tooley, for making these graphics. Uh, we have Biden still in the lead at 28%, but minus nine, minus nine. He's lost nine points among uh, South Carolina voters. 60% of South Carolina is African-American. Then we see Bernie Sanders at 20% plus six. Hey, if, you, if, if, if I'm the Bernie Sanders campaign and you sign me up today that I will lose South Carolina by eight points, I will take that every day of the week and twice on Sunday. If Joe Biden cannot win South Carolina, he's probably going to lose Nevada. If he can't win South Carolina by double digits, that's it. It would be a victory if Bernie Sanders came within eight points in South Carolina. I actually think he's going to do better than this poll, and I'll tell you why in a little bit. Then we have Tom Steyer, who has spent more money in Nevada and South Carolina than any other um, campaigns, and you see it reflected in the polls, Tom Steyer at 14%, minus five, and then uh, Mayor CIA there at 8%. Uh, he's up plus four in South Carolina. Again, 
you get a bump when you're falsely declared the winner of the Iowa caucus, uh, but he's still at 8%. And then Warren, minus 2. Then we go down to Texas. Six months ago, would anybody here think Bernie Sanders has a shot in Texas? Here is a Texas Tribune poll. Bernie Sanders in the lead. Yes, margin of error. Uh, He's up by two points. But the fact that Bernie Sanders is even competing in Texas shows you the stuff the corporate media keeps putting out there is BS. It's not an issue. It's not. Bernie Sanders does not inherently uh, repel conservative voters. He doesn't inherently repel moderate voters. What Bernie Sanders does is he expands the electorate. Why do you think he did so well in Why do you think he's doing so well in Nevada? Because it has a big Latino population and he is winning among Latinos. Texas, huge Latino population. He is doing very, very well among Latinos. So all of these polls are showing you if the Democratic Party wants to beat Trump, there's one candidate who not only performed very well, even though the media keeps saying, and I'm going to show you a despicable lie Chuck Todd told today in a little bit. The media keeps pretending that Bernie Sanders is not expanding the electorate, that he's not bringing out new voters. It's just a lie. He is. And you see it in the polls. Latinos, by and large, support Bernie Sanders in Nevada, in Texas, and California. Now we look at a national poll, Morning Consult. Bernie Sanders is up 10 points, 10 points over Joe Biden. And remember, just two or three months ago, this was reversed. Joe Biden was up 10 points. Bloomberg at 18%, which is completely bought. Uh, Buttigieg and Klobuchar, despite the media, I mean, giving them, showering them with attention, showering them with free coverage. Klobuchar and Buttigieg were both on the Sunday shows this morning. This is how the media works. They're trying to juice up the polls for their preferred moderate to right-wing Democrats. That's why all of these shows interview Amy Klobuchar, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They, they interview Amy Klobuchar more than any candidate the last few weeks. Judge too. It ain't working. It's just not working. Look at their national numbers. Klobuchar, 5%. Uh, Warren, we're going to get to in a little bit. I want to zero in on the African-American vote here. Look at those African, you know, Joe Biden, my, my support among African-Americans is my firewall. I hate that term in politics, but Joe Biden says, I'm, you know, I have the most support among African-Americans. By the way, it was mostly older African-Americans, but I digress. Well, he's lost 25 points, 25 points among African-Americans. That is toxic if you were Joe Biden's campaign. Bloomberg has bought his way, shockingly, to 22%. Mind you, this is without doing any interviews. This is without being in one debate. This is basically trying to hide. He does very, very little campaign events. Uh, and this is before the majority of the South, uh, majority of the South Carolina voters who, you know, Bloomberg skipping South Carolina. But this is before the majority of black voters really know anything about Michael Bloomberg's record. Sure, they might have heard about stop and frisk, but they don't know the details of every single thing. Because, it, by the way, it ain't just stop and frisk. So that number is going to go down, and it's going to go down quickly when he is forced to debate, when he is forced to do interviews, uh, and it's just shameful. Honestly, what Michael Bloomberg is doing, to me, should be outlawed and illegal in a country. 
you should not be able to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on your of your own money to basically have a propaganda campaign to become competitive in a presidential race. It's disgusting. It should be outlawed. Sanders, plus four at 19% among African-Americans. Warren, plus one, 8%. And Buttigieg, getting all the way up there, plus four to 4%. 19% other or undecided. That's actually other slash undecided. So there's a lot of African-Americans open, open for business. A lot of them haven't decided yet. So to me, obviously Biden, total freefall. To me, the big opportunity here is Bernie. And if Warren, who I think should drop out, but putting that aside, if Warren does well in this Nevada debate, and if she does well in the Nevada caucus, she has room there to grow. But Bernie has the most room here. Bloomberg is like a hot air balloon. It's going to go up, but it's eventually going to pop because he's, Michael Bloomberg's got equally, if not worse, record on, uh, on black people than President Trump. And you might think that's a radical statement, but remember, President Trump had no political record before becoming president. Michael Bloomberg has eight, more than eight years. He's got three terms in New York City, and it was not good for black people. It was not good for Latinos, and it was not just stop and frisk. I also want to show you these numbers, and this is from a USA Today poll. So shares your values. This is USA Today. Sanders, 64%. Warren, 55%. Biden, 53%. Buttigieg, 50%. Bloomberg, 46%. Hillary Clinton, in addition to NAFTA, which was a disaster, in addition to her uh, pushing TPP, nobody, no, nobody, uh, she did not rank high in terms of favorability. She did not rank high in terms of share your values. She did not rank highly uh, as far as trust, character, those kinds of things. Now we go to character. This is from USA Today. 40% have a high uh, feeling on Bernie Sanders' character. 31% Biden, 30% Warren, 30% Buttigieg, 29% uh, Bloomberg. So Bernie has all, right now the polling is on Bernie's side. And I don't want to be, um, I want to be consistent because when Bernie was down in the polls, I said, I take everything with a grain of salt, all of these polls. I still take a lot of these polls with a grain of salt. But at least, at least, when you look in the methodology, when you look in the methodology of these polls, and status quo has been sounding the alarm on this for six months to a year, you're starting to see the pollsters start to more evenly poll younger voters versus older voters. The reason Joe Biden was running away from this thing, according to the polls, uh, six months ago, uh, all along, was... They were barely polling people under the age of 50, particularly Monmouth University's polls, uh, Quinnipiac. And a lot of these, you know, polls were oversampling older voters and undersampling younger voters. So now, as you actually see turnout, as you see in Iowa, contrary to what Chuck Todd was lying about today, which I'm about to show you, more, more people aged 17 to 29 came out in Iowa than they did in 2008 for President Obama or candidate Obama at that time. That's a youth increase. New Hampshire, it was not, it was not the same. There's plenty of reasons for that. But at least in Iowa, you had a big uptick in young voters. In New Hampshire, you had an uptick in total turnout. Uh, you had more voters this time around than you had in 2016. So the turnout numbers, particularly among young people in Iowa and overall voters, is very, very good. I want to show you 
I said this to Jen. I mean, at some point, you really have to question, is it just that these multimillionaire anchors are morons or are they just intentionally lying? So let's look, let's look at Chuck Todd this morning on Meet the Press. I mean, it's a mess. Grab, grab, grab the popcorn. I think the, the biggest challenge right now is with Bernie Sanders, I think the, the question is that he will grow that electoral base that the Democrats desperately need will in order he? to win. I think he'll, he'll bring in the young people. But did the he? Challenge. He hasn't yet. But no, he, no, he, he in has. This, in this, so far, I mean, he, youth turnout went down, not up. No, but they actually, but you actually saw in Iowa, you actually saw a, a constituency of the Latino mm -hmm. vote, and you actually saw a constituency of young African American votes actually outperform. That is where the new base is coming mm -hmm. from. <laughs> I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And kudos to that guest. I think her name is Maria Teresa Kumar. So Chuck Todd, I don't know how much he makes. I'm pretty sure he makes at least five, six million dollars uh, a year. Uh, to do propaganda for NBC and MSNBC. You would think as part of that millions of dollars of a year has to have his facts right, has to actually study politics, has to do some research. So Chuck Todd, Chuck Todd says, well, you know, Bernie's not bringing out. Bernie's not bringing out the youth. Well, that's just a lie. It's just not true. Bernie Sanders brought out 24%, 24% of voters in Iowa were age 17 to 29. That is, I guess some are Gen Z and some are millennials. 17 to 29, 24% of Iowa caucus voters were 17 to 29. They over, overwhelmingly supported Bernie Sanders compared to in 2008, when Barack Obama was running, it was 22% of the electorate was age 17 to 29. You might think, oh, an increase of two, two points, that's not, not a big deal. It is a big deal, and I'll tell you why. And this is the stuff the corporate media will never actually provide you. It's called context. So Bernie Sanders brought out 24% of the electorate in Iowa was 17 to 29, compared to 2008. 22% uh, of the electorate was age 17 to 29. Guess what? In 2008, there was even, there was uh, advantages in terms of more young people coming out that did not exist this time around. What were those advantages? In 2008, the Iowa caucus was held in the beginning of January. College students were home for their winter break. It was right in the, I think it was January 3rd. Uh, I th I'm pretty sure the Iowa caucus was January 3rd. In 2008 so you had college students home by the way so this time around college students were back in college so 22 percent in 2008 that that was partly yes more young people came out because of the friggin uh, you know just quicksand that george w bush left this country in but they were home they could vote they weren't back at college yet secondly this time around in 2020 the Iowa caucus was held the day after the Super Bowl and college students were away. So there were there were reasons, there were reasons this time around that that number should not have surpassed 2008. So it surpassed 2008 without the built advantage of young college students from Iowa being home without this, you know, again, the Super Bowl was held the day before. You might have some people that, you know, not feeling so great uh, the next day 
after, you know, hanging out, drinking a couple at Super Bowl parties, whatever. So Bernie Sanders brought out more youth voters, yet Chuck Todd just lies to the American people. It's unbelievable. But that's not the only lie that Chuck Todd told today. That's not the only lie. Time Bernie Sanders may have eked out the most votes in Iowa and New Hampshire. But if you look at the numbers more closely, it shows a candidate hitting a ceiling for now rather than a glide path to the nomination. In both states, Sanders garnered almost the same percentage of the vote. Check this out. 26.5 and 25.6% respectively. Compared with Buttigieg, earning similar amounts as well. Now, Sanders can blame the large field of candidates, but Donald Trump got 35% in New Hampshire in 2016 in a similarly crowded field. Sanders often makes the case for enthusiasm, that his people are more fired up and he's better able to bring new voters into the fold as a result. Well, if you look at the combined percentages among the centrist candidates, they do much better than the progressives, earning 51% of the vote in Iowa and 52% in New Hampshire. Then there's turnout. Tuesday's New Hampshire primary broke the record set in 2008 with an 18% increase in overall turnout compared with four years ago but a decline in the groups that tend to support Sanders. The amount of 18 to 29-year-old voters was down 5% on Tuesday night compared to when Sanders swept the Granite State in 2016. And the amount of very liberal voters was down the same amount compared to 2016 as well. Those kinds of numbers do not favor the Sanders campaign, and actually it could just, just get tougher. Iowa and New Hampshire were near perfect places for Sanders to flex his progressive muscle. Both were states he'd organized in before, one being next door to his home of Vermont. But there are very few other contests with as friendly of electorates to Sanders as those two first two states of Iowa and New Hampshire. So I love how Chuck Todd and these corporate media people, they, the only thing they could do, because Bernie Sanders winning, they have to have a narrative for why Bernie Sanders winning is actually losing, right? So I just showed you that he lied about the youth turnout. Uh, it was down in New Hampshire. There could be a lot of reasons for why it was down in New Hampshire, but it was up significantly in Iowa. Overall turnout, by the way, in New Hampshire was up significantly. The corporate media, what can they do? If Bernie's winning, they have to come up with a reason he's losing. So they're doing this creative thing where they say, well, Bernie and Warren, their support equals whatever it was in that segment, let's say 50%. Excuse me, let's say uh, 46%. I'm making it up. I don't remember what it was in that. But if you group Biden, Klobuchar, and Buttigieg together, it's greater. The support for them is greater than the support for Bernie and Warren. Okay, let's explain why this is total bullshit. First of all, first of all, it doesn't matter what the total percentage of voters for the losing candidates are compared to the winning candidate. It really doesn't matter. So, yeah, sure, you could do creative math and say, well, Biden, Klobuchar, and Buttigieg, their total is greater than Bernie and Warren, but that's not how elections work. Secondly, if you actually want to be fair, which they don't, you would group in Tulsi Gabbard's percentage with Bernie and Warren. You would group in Andrew Yang's percentage, even though it wasn't much with Bernie and Warren. So you would group in Tom Steyer's percentage, which is closer to Bernie and Warren. So they don't want to be fair. Secondly, secondly, Chuck Todd and these other corporate 
stoop, uh, these other corporate hacks that are trying to make it seem, well, there's greater moderate support than there is progressive support. They just assume that all of Amy Klobuchar's voters, all of Joe Biden's voters, all of um, Pete Buttigieg's voters are, are, are moderates. Well, all you have to do, all you have to do is just look at second choices for the polls. Biden supporters, their top second choice is Bernie Sanders. 28% of Biden supporters, their second choice, Bernie Sanders. Uh, obviously lesser when you go to Buttigieg, but 17% of Buttigieg supporters, second choice, Bernie or Warren. Uh, they don't have, uh, Morning Consult doesn't have the numbers for Klobuchar. But as you can see, Elizabeth Warren, second choice. Uh, no, this is, where's Warren? Warren, Bernie Sanders, 35% of her supporters have Bernie Sanders as their second choice. So in Chuck Todd's world, you just add up Biden, Klobuchar, and, and um, Judge, and that equals greater support for the moderates than Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren has. But if you have no Joe Biden, by the numbers, his, his voters, a lot of them, are going to Bernie Sanders. Uh, if you, Klobuchar, probably not. Buttigieg, a lot of his voters going to Bernie or Warren. So it's just intellectually dishonest what they're trying to do. They're trying to do this voodoo math to try and make it seem, well, there's more moderate support. Well, by the way, by the way, since I was on the ground in New Hampshire and Chuck Todd was not, these, these people make multi-millions of dollars a year. I think he makes four or five million dollars a year to do this kind of propaganda. I make, I don't know, I can't do fractions, maybe 0.01% of that. I was on the ground, thanks to you. I could tell you a lot of Pete Buttigieg supporters like Bernie Sanders. They voted for Pete Buttigieg because they were told he won the Iowa caucus. That's what led them to actually go to his events. I spoke with a lot of his supporters online outside of his event, the one where they harassed my, jur- my, my cameraman. Why this is important, what they're trying to do is brainwash you. What they're trying to do is make it seem, don't believe your lying eyes. There isn't a progressive surge going on. There, the, the mood of the country is not moving left. The mood of the country is center right or center left. No, it's not. The truth is, if Joe Biden is not in this race, a lot of his voters are going to Bernie. The truth is, if Pete is not in this race, a lot of his voters are going to Bernie. Amy, probably not because she's basically a Republican. But no, you can't just add up the losing candidates' percentages and then say, oh, you know, there's more moderate support. Uh, for There's more moderate support. Joe Biden, who apparently can't even look at a map because his campaign, who just bolted out of New Hampshire before the results were out, he, you know, it's like leaving a wedding before dessert. He just left the state uh, without any results. Joe Biden skipped Nevada and just went straight down to South Carolina. Uh, His campaign has literally been running on empty for months. Uh, Colin Tooley, uh, our brilliant uh, editor, does great graphics for us. I mean, we've had this for six months. Uh, we might need to actually change that graphic and show, you know, <laughs> leaks, <laughs> the, the Titanic starting to sink uh, and after the iceberg uh, has been hit. But 
Joe Biden, uh, after coming in an embarrassing fifth place in New Hampshire, what did he do? He goes down to South Carolina, again, tries to pretend that he's been a champion for African-Americans forever and ever, which is not true, uh, between the crime bill, uh, between a lot of other things he's done, his policies have uh, wreaked havoc on poor and black and brown communities from the crime bill, from repealing Glass-Steagall to the bankruptcy bill to, uh, I mean, you go down the list, bankruptcy bill, repealing Glass-Steagall, the crime bill. I mean, he, he pushed um, NAFTA, which has also done a number on poor people, minority communities in the Midwest and elsewhere. So Joe Biden, not a friend of black people, but he has benefited by being Obama's vice president. And by the way, anyone that understands politics, Obama didn't pick Joe Biden because he thought he was such an upstanding guy. He picked him because he needed an old white guy to make other uh, white people feel comfortable voting for a black guy whose middle name was Hussein. Let's just be real about it. That's what happened. So Joe Biden, after coming in a distant uh, fourth in Iowa, after coming in fifth in New Hampshire, where does he go? He doesn't go to campaign like crazy in South Carolina. I think he did one or two events. He doesn't go to try and get more African-American groups to support him, more African-American leaders to endorse him. He doesn't go to try and get more unions to endorse him. Where does he go? He goes to his home base. Joe Biden, after getting clobbered, runs to his Wall Street sugar daddies. Joe Biden to host more than 250 donors from Wall Street, big business at a New York City fundraiser. Here's the guest list. I mean, you got to give it for him. He has no shame. He was. This already happened, so this uh, this was written before the event. Um, Biden's campaign uh, expected to raise one billion from this these events. The list shows names such as former Morgan Stanley CEO John Mack who, by the way, was a big, big culprit in tanking the global economy in 2007 and 8. Centerview Partners, Alan Hartman, Citigroup Executive Ray McGuire, Blackstone Chief Operating Officer, Jonathan Cray. Blackstone, of course, has invested the most uh, in a- of any company in fossil fuels. They claim that they're going to be changing that, but as of right now, they are invested the most in the projects destroying our planet. Uh, attendees also include Goldman Sachs, Uh, You also have uh, another public affairs person from Blackstone. Uh, You have Kamala Harris's former national finance chair who's now backing Biden. Uh, And another person from Centerbridge Partners, which is a big sleazy Wall Street firm. So what does that tell you? Joe Biden, he, he doesn't actually have a message. His campaign basically said, hmm, Let's just run Hillary Clinton's campaign, meaning Trump is the Antichrist, Trump unprecedented threat, Trump is bad, Trump's the Antichrist, vote for us. And their calculation was probably, well, we have the whole middle class Joe thing going. It's, of course, not based on anything real. It's not based on facts, but we have the narrative. The media has helped us push that narrative. And, oh, by the way, Joe Biden publicly said... He has a penis, so he's not going to have to deal with sexism or any of that stuff that Hillary had to deal with. So he never, you know, the arrogance and the incompetence of Joe Biden's campaign, they thought, well, we don't really have to 
have a message. We don't have to actually have a bold vision or an idea. We could just put up some ads with Biden, with Barack Obama. We could post on Twitter BFF bracelets on best friends forever days. Did you, do you remember that? It was like BFF day and Biden tweeted two bracelets, Barack and Joe, best friends. This is, this is what Joe Biden has been running on. It's been, honestly, I, I didn't think it, it was even possible to run a worse campaign than Hillary Clinton. Um, but this is a worse campaign than Hillary Clinton ran. And that's saying a lot. So he's getting destroyed in Iowa, which would have, should have been a very favorable state for him. He got destroyed in South uh, New Hampshire. He doesn't even go next to Nevada. He just goes to South Carolina, which I don't understand that. Yes, you're strongest in South Carolina, but at this point, if you don't come in a very close second in Nevada, you're done. You can't lose fourth place, fifth place, and in Nevada, third place, and then expect to go into South Carolina and just throw up your hands and say, Obama, and think you're going to win. So Biden runs to Wall Street. Why are we not surprised? Biden is also, and, and you know, Obviously, Joe Biden is not the one running, uh, writing his campaign emails, but this email last night for the Biden campaign was really something. I tweeted this out. Subject line, out of options. Well, that's a pick-me-up. That, that makes me want to give you money. Jordan, we're running out of options. Since we've been emailing you all week, yes, you have, about the importance of tonight's deadline, the the end of the... Um, What's the deadline? Bah, 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 bah. So, I, I don't remember what the deadline is. Uh, since we've been emailing you all week about the importance of tonight's deadline, we were certain we'd be on track to hit our goal. But sadly, we were wrong. With three hours to go, we're still 2,000 donations short. Reminder, our fundraising numbers go public at the end of every month. So if we fall short, everyone will know. We can't risk that this month. I don't know. Jen, you're an expert on email marketing. Uh, this is a kind of desperate sounding subject line and it's a desperate sounding email to me. It's like, hey, please give me five bucks. We don't want the whole world. We don't want to be embarrassed. Not good for Joe. And the fact is, if you're going to Wall Street and you are bending the knee, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, if you are going to Wall Street and you are bending the knee to Wall Street and saying, please, please help me out of this ditch. I came in fourth place in Iowa. I just came in fifth place. And by the way, who are these investors that are still giving money to Joe Biden? Not so smart. Anyway, my point is he's in trouble. He's in trouble because I got news for you. The Nevada caucus, you, yes, you're going to have a lot of Latinos coming out. Of course, you have the culinary union and they've been putting out this nonsense about Bernie's coming and he's taking your health care away. I don't really think it. the totality of the culinary union's members buy this. And by the way, Joe Biden was praying that the culinary union, after attacking Bernie Sanders, would endorse him. Even they, they're not touching Joe Biden. They came out and they said, we're not endorsing anyone, but Bernie's bad. So they don't want to put their cards in for Joe Biden because he's, he's tanking. What's incredible to me, Joe Biden, his campaign, their brilliant idea is not to change the message 
It's not to put out, you know, good things he has done as a senator. It's not to present a, a bold new policy to excite people. It's to run to Wall Street. You can't make this stuff up. And by the way, he's running to Wall Street. Again, sorry if you already saw this poll. He's running to Wall Street when his numbers among African-American voters are just bleeding down 25 points among African-American voters in the most recent Quinnipiac poll. This was what they called Joe Biden's quote-unquote firewall, which is a dumb word. It doesn't hold up. But this is, this is his firewall, and it's cracking. It's cracking. And by the way, don't, you know, the media says, oh, no, South Carolina voters don't take their cues from Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada. Uh, well, then why is he down 25 points? Granted, this is national, but he's down a lot. Pete Buttigieg, after falsely being declared the winner of the Iowa caucus, after getting a 7 to 10 bump in New Hampshire because of that, well, Pete has to go run to his Wall Street sugar daddies. Dash for cash, the New York Times calls it. Ten fundraisers in two weeks. In the compressed and crucial weeks between the New Hampshire primary and Super Tuesday, Pete Buttigieg is moving aggressively to replenish his campaign coffers with an ambitious schedule of ten fundraisers held across six states in a 14-day period. The money chase for Buttigieg began in Indianapolis Thursday at the 16,000-square-foot home of a supporter as donors notched on egg salad and cucumber sandwiches. What a thrill to be back, he said in Indiana. He will soon visit Seattle, Salt Lake City, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., Miami, and Palm Beach, with most of the events built around states that will vote in early March. In addition to Buttigieg himself, this is the part that's, like, blatantly corrupt. In addition to Buttigieg himself, his national policy director, Sonal Shah, a veteran of the Obama administration and Goldman Sachs, is hitting the road to headline events in Virginia, Maryland, and Ohio, where donors are asked to for up to $2,800 to become a, quote, champion and join in a, quote, policy conversation. Some tickets could be had for as little as $54. Oh, thank you for, you know allowing the proletariat in too. And Buttigieg's husband, Cheston, is featured at another five events with two stops in Wisconsin, two in Denver, and one in Phoenix. So what's incredible to me about this, by the way, first of all, it shows, you know, a lot of candidates throw around the term movement. This is a movement. We hear that from a lot of candidates. But if Pete Buttigieg was actually a movement, let's get something straight. Let's get something straight. Pete Buttigieg, if Pete Buttigieg was a movement, don't you think performing well in Iowa? Don't you think performing well in New Hampshire, even though the media lifted him to that performance? Shouldn't he have a tsunami of small dollar donations coming in if he's expanding his support? Shouldn't he have a tsunami of small dollar donations coming in where Bernie, like Bernie Sanders, who, by the way, uh, in February, has been raising over a million dollars a day? No, Pete Buttigieg is running to Wall Street. Why is that? Hmm. Interesting. Not only is Pete Buttigieg, and when I say Wall Street, obviously he's going all over the country, but he's going to mostly financial 
people's homes. He's going to mostly executives in the financial industry, executives in the healthcare industry, executives in the tech and Silicon Valley industry. So that in itself is corrupt. It's legalized bribery, as we always say. But beyond Buttigieg going, can you imagine for a second if, I don't know, Warren Gunnels, if you don't know who Warren Gunnels is, he's uh, Senator Sanders' top policy advisor. He's been with him for 20 years, very active on Twitter. 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 Could you imagine if Warren Gunnels was going to like mansions in Silicon Valley or D.C. or anywhere for quote-unquote policy conversations with top donors? Yeah, really what that is is, hey, as I'm talking about Pete Buttigieg's top policy advisor that they're going around as the headliner for fundraisers uh, at a tune of $2,800 a uh, ticket. Hey, here's the empty pad. Write down what you want. I'll give it to Pete. This is what's going on. Of course, it's not put out that way. It's not said, you know, it's not openly stated as that. But when you have your senior policy advisor, who, by the way, is a former Goldman Sachs executive, going around to rich people's homes for, quote unquote, policy conversations. Is Pete Buttigieg, does, does he think the American people are idiots? I know the media tries to make the American people stay dumb and numb. But you're literally sending your policy chief around to basically take down, you know, take orders from the plutocracy around the country in exchange for $2,800 a pop. If that isn't corruption, then we don't even have corruption. Then corruption, there's no standard for it anymore. That is blatant corruption. Pete Buttigieg is literally sending his staff around to rich people's homes his top policy advisor to basically take down their orders of what they want. Oh, you want opportunity zones in your neighborhood, i.e. gentrification? Pete Buttigieg says, I'm against Trump's tax cuts. We need to repeal it, but let's keep the opportunity zone portions. Opportunity zone is just a a neoliberal phrase for gentrification, for real estate developers to come in, get huge tax cuts, huge tax abatements and gentrify cities and push poor people out, mostly black, mostly brown, and more and more often now, poor white people too. So it's disgusting. A journalist should demand answers from him. How are you talking about bringing in a new Washington, a new form of politics, which is a lot of hot air. It doesn't mean anything. It's just consultants putting words in his mouth that he dutifully uh, repeats. But that's not new Washington. That's current corrupt Washington. So we got Joe Biden running around to his sugar daddies and sugar mamas on Wall Street. You got Pete Buttigieg doing the same exact thing all over this country because he doesn't really have small dollar support. Then you have, this was even more crazy to me. I tweeted about it before I went live. So we already know that Pete Buttigieg has had a little problem with a phrase called honesty. Remember that story from The Intercept where Pete Buttigieg's campaign like falsely declared that hundreds of South Carolina lawmakers supported him? Remember that? I remember when it came out that like in the email that they were sending out, there was like a little disclaimer like, yeah, even if you don't tell us that you endorse Pete, we're just going to say you do. And it came out like 
three uh, very high-profile African-American lawmakers in South Carolina were like, uh, we didn't endorse Pete Buttigieg. And his campaign was never challenged on that. As far as I know, he wasn't even challenged about it during a debate. Yesterday, it came out that he was going to get the endorsement of uh, Keegan-Michael Key. Keegan-Michael Key, who's a big comedian. Um, what is that? Key and Peel shows you what I know and how cultured I am. He was going to get the endorsement of, of uh, Keegan-Michael Key, which would have been a big endorsement. You know, African-American. Uh, he's big, big, uh, Mike, big guy in comedy and entertainment. Oh, that's cool. He's getting that endorsement. Pretty good for Pete Buttigieg, right? Well, <laughs> less than 24 hours later, you can't make this stuff up. Less than 25, less than 24 hours later, after Pete Buttigieg's campaign puts out that he's getting the endorsement of a big-time comedian. Oh, wait a minute. The actor isn't endorsing him. After touting Keegan-Michael Key's support for Pete Buttigieg, the campaign told CNN later Saturday that the actor will now appear at the Buttigieg campaign events simply to encourage early voting and voter registration. Not officially endorse the former South Bend, Indiana mayor as a Democratic candidate for president. Quote, Keegan-Michael Key will be attending events this weekend, including Pete's rally tomorrow, to encourage early voting and voter registration across the state in advance of the Nevada caucuses, Buttigieg spokesperson Chris Meager said in a statement, the same Chris Meager, who has not responded to status quo now for a week and a half, simply asking for an apology from the campaign for assaulting my cameraman. Quote, Pete's campaign is excited for the voter registration support Mr. Key brings, although Key and Michael has not officially endorsed a candidate. Uh... But the campaign first told CNN that Key was set to announce his support for the former mayor in Nevada, appearing at early voting locations Saturday before joining a canvas kickoff in Las Vegas and introducing Buttigieg on stage at the rally. The campaign later walked back the support comment and said Key was not officially endorsing the candidate. So let me tell you how this probably went. And again, I don't know for sure. I'm a journalist, but I'm not reporting this. I don't have verification on this. This is just my guess. This is just my guess. So Pete Buttigieg's campaign, who again has falsely, has falsely um, put out in the past that hundreds of black uh, lawmakers and leaders and influencers in South Carolina support Pete Buttigieg and were endorsing Pete Buttigieg only for it to be exposed thanks to, thanks to Ryan Grimm and The Intercept. So they already have this bad habit, reputation, for lying about black support after, by the way, you know, riding to a seven to 10 bump in New Hampshire because they lied that he was the winner of the Iowa caucus. The audacity of this man to come out the night of the Iowa caucus with no results yet and just say, oh, I won. But now he falsely says that a big time comedian, Key and Peel, this is the um, uh, Key, Am I getting that right? Sorry, I'm not. Yeah. Uh, Keegan, Michael Key, um, is endorsing him. So you would think for a high-level endorsement like this, you would think that maybe Pete Buttigieg himself would talk to the actual person that they're claiming endorsing. You would think that there would be some type of verbal or confirmation, like, yeah, I'm going with you. Let me know where to show up. 
you would think you have some type of uh, confirmation that this guy is endorsing you. But it seems that the Buttigieg campaign, they don't really require that kind of confirmation. If it feels like they could say this person is endorsing us, if it feels like they could say black lawmakers in South Carolina are endorsing us, we'll just say it because the truth doesn't matter anymore, right? And we could just exploit whether it's lawmakers in, in South Carolina that are black or a big-time comedian that is black. We could just exploit it. Well, what really pro- – what ha- probably happened in this case was uh, Keegan-Michael Kay saw reports that he was endorsing Pete Buttigieg, and he picked up the phone, called whoever his contacts were with the campaign – and said, uh, I'm not endorsing Pete Buttigieg. I told you I'd come, show up, and tell people to vote early. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Can you imagine if Bernie Sanders did the same thing? Frankly, I'm not a fan of her. Could you imagine if Elizabeth Warren claimed that a big-time comedian or celebrity was endorsing her and had to walk it back? The media would be all over it. They'd be calling them liars, They'd be doing an, an investigation. How did this happen? Pete Buttigieg lies about support in South Carolina among black people. Oh, too bad. Must have been a, must have been a miscommunication. Pete Buttigieg lies. If you want to even give him the benefit of the doubt, let's say for a minute, you just want to give him the benefit of the doubt, give his campaign the benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt that they didn't lie. It must have been a miscommunication. Wires got crossed. They thought uh, Keegan-Michael Kay was endorsing him, but he wasn't. Uh, then you're incompetent. How are you going to be president if you can't even correctly understand if somebody's endorsing you or not? Come on. What's amazing to me, what's amazing to me about the Democratic Party? The Democratic Party is literally so corrupt. And I don't want to say that without acknowledging, because sometimes I think uh, when you focus a lot on the Democratic Party, that could sometimes make it seem like the Republican Party is not corrupt. The Republican Party is extremely corrupt. Donald Trump is doing fundraisers. Uh, He just did a fundraiser, I think, uh, per plate. Per plate for a couple was $550,000. Donald Trump is corrupt. Mitch McConnell is corrupt. They're all corrupt. So, We're not condoning the Republican Party. I want to defeat the Republican Party. I want to defeat Trump. The problem is you cannot defeat Trump with Chamber of Commerce moderate Republicanism. And that's what the Democratic Party is trying to do here. So the Democratic Party, their brilliant brilliant idea is, oh, well, we got to stop Bernie Sanders. Joe Biden is like an old record stuck on 1995, so he ain't going to do it. We couldn't get Kamala to the finish line. We couldn't get Beto to the finish line. We tried to get Warren to the finish line, but not working out for us. We can't get Amy. You know, we've been giving Amy plenty of media coverage, plenty of media attention, uh, and that hasn't worked, even though the media has redefined winning to be the third place winner in New Hampshire is the big winner. Let's give her 2,000 interviews in a week. It's just not working. So what, what are these DNC members What are these folks thinking? Well, Bloomberg has got a lot of money, and they're still under the mindset that money equals victory. And yeah, it's got a terrible record, terrible policy, 
terrible sexual harassment uh, claims against him and his organization, which I'm going to get into. I mean, racist policy, racist statements. It's it's terrible all around. But Trump, it's still this mentality of you don't have to inspire anyone. You don't have to galvanize the base. You don't have to excite young people. You don't have to excite black people. You don't have to excite Latinos. You don't have to excite anyone. You just need to make Trump the Antichrist and the the troops will come out. All you need to do is shame those Bernie Sanders supporters. Shame them. Demand that they fall in line and that too shall pass. The only problem is you are seeing very highly credible people. Very highly credible people. We're not talking about like Bernie Sanders supporters. You're talking about New York Times columnists. You're talking about some lawmakers are openly saying, I will not vote for Michael Bloomberg, even if it is him versus Donald Trump. You are seeing that all over the internet. And to tell you the truth, I would not vote for Michael Bloomberg. I I would not vote for Michael Bloomberg. It is against what I stand for. I also do not believe in rewarding plutocracy. I do not believe in rewarding the, the buying of elections. As bad as Trump is, you can't condone, you can't say Trump is a unique threat and answer that with, let's put a plutocrat that bought his way into the White House. That's not an option. So what's amazing to me about Michael Bloomberg and his rise that is now being aided by the media. The the media, I mean, credit to the Washington Post, who just did a good story on him exposing the decades of sexual harassment uh, that has gone on at his organization and with him uh, involved too. But there, most of the media attention has not been critical on Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg has gotten away with doing zero interviews. Zero interviews. Michael Bloomberg has gotten away with when, you know, when video clips come out of him saying, ah, yeah, the way to do it is just to toss black people against the wall, frisk them. There's there's very little uh, media attention on it. And the media attention that there has been on the terrible things that Michael Bloomberg has done is to go after the messenger. Here's an example of that. Let's take a look at what Benjamin Dixon exposed I believe uh, last week. 95% of your murders and murderers and murder victims fit one MO. You can just take the description, Xerox it, and pass it out to all the cops. They are male minorities, 15 to 25. That's true in New York, it's true in virtually every city. And that's where the real crime is. You've got to get the guns out of the hands of the people that get killed. She's going to be one send the money to a lot of cops in the street. Put those cops where the crime is, which means in minority neighborhoods. So it's one of the unintended consequences is people say, oh my God, you are arresting kids for marijuana that are all minorities. Yes, that's true. Why? Because we put all the cops in the minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Why do we do it? Because that's where all the crime is. And the way you get the guns out of the kids' hands is to throw them against the wall and frisk them. And then they start, they say, oh, I don't want that, I don't want to get caught, so they don't bring the gun. They still have a gun, but they leave it at home. Yeah, just throw them against the wall and frisk them. Can you think of 
what really stands out to me, what really stands out to me about the way Michael Bloomberg talks is he's, th there is zero emotion. It's just, he states just as business as usual, matter of factly, this is where the crime is. What do you got to do? Put all the police in the minority communities, throw them against the wall, frisk them. There's no emotion involved to it. There's no empathy. There's no sympathy. There's no humanity. It's just throw them against the wall and frisk them. And there's also no understanding. There's no understanding of the fact why, why is there crime in, some, in these areas? Why is that, Michael Bloomberg? Let's take a look at how CNN responded. Let's let's take a look how CNN reported uh, responded to Michael Bloomberg basically saying racially uh, the way to stop crime is to racially profile black people and Latinos to throw them against the wall, frisk them, throw throw away their constitutional protections. They're not entitled to it. How did CNN respond to that? So here's the thing. Important context here. We don't have the full tape. So this is obviously snippets that have been released. The podcaster and the writer that released the sound is clearly a Bernie supporter. If you look at his Twitter feed, he's very anti-Bloomberg. He is promoting a hashtag, Bloomberg is a racist. We don't know how he got the sound to begin with. So lots of questions are being asked, especially on the timing of this. As you noted in your introduction, a poll yesterday shows Bloomberg rising in the polls and particularly strong support in the African-American community. He polled at 22 percent, just behind Joe Biden at 27 percent. So the timing here and the mission here all calling into but question. But we also know, right, Christina, that Bloomberg is going to face continued questions about his uh, about the stop and frisk policy about. So CNN, CNN, they want to look into the context. They want to look into the context of Michael Bloomberg basically saying to hell with the Constitution. Michael Bloomberg basically saying uh, to hell with the Constitution that outlaws illegal search and seizure, to hell with uh, Af the uh, constitutional rights for African-Americans, Latinos, to hell with it all. This is where crime is. It doesn't matter if you are traumatizing these people. It doesn't matter if you are scaring the hell out of these communities. It doesn't matter if you are probably creating even more crime by doing this doesn't matter i'm a i'm a rich businessman and we're going to do this because this is what the this is what the balance sheet looks like cnn their response to that is well i mean look who posted this clip uh well you know we don't know how he found the clip by the way she's a f moron because that clip was on youtube in full that's how we found it it was on youtube by the way, CNN left out this tiny little detail that that reporter, who, by the way, I, I don't know, worked at Bloomberg. She, she was a reporter for Bloomberg News. Kind of saying, shouldn't that be disclosed that this reporter who is now offering the context was a reporter 
for Bloomberg News? Okay. So they, their response to blatant racism, that is blatant racism, the quotes you just heard from Michael Bloomberg, their response, attack the messenger, Benjamin Dixon, an independent media uh, commentator. Their response, he's a Bernie bro. Their response, we don't know what his motivation is. Who? I don't care if a space alien posted the clip. There is no context needed. The clip speaks for itself, and what an actual journalist would do would pick up the phone or go find Michael Bloomberg and question him. Would also dig in further. CNN is based in New York. You know what they could do? They could go to the communities that were affected by stop and frisk and speak with actual living, breathing people. But they're not going to do that because they don't give a damn. They don't care how it affected people. They're trying to muddy the waters and just make it seem like a Bernie bro attack. Despicable and great find by Benjamin Dixon. If, if you want a taste of Michael Bloomberg, here we go. Here is Michael Bloomberg. One second. Michael Bloomberg uh, basically saying that Joe Biden has been unfairly attacked and he shouldn't be apologizing for his role in the crime bill. Joe Biden went out and apologized for being male, over 50, white. Um, he apologized for the one piece of legislation, which is actually a pretty good anti-crime bill, which if the liberals ever read it, most of the things they like would be is in that bill. They should have loved that, but they weren't even bothered to read it. You're, you're anti-crime, you must be anti-populist. Yes, liberals should have just loved what was in that bill. You know, the building of more prisons, the targeting minority communities, more cops on the street, the uh, ushering in the mass incarceration as we know it. Liberals should have just loved that. Should have loved that. And by the way, Tom Steyer is getting a pass. Tom Steyer invested in private prisons with disproportionately screw black men. But the media is not going to cover that either. I mean... That's just one of them. You want more? Here's a shorter clip. I, for example, am not in favor, have never been in favor of raising the minimum wage. What do you know? Michael Bloomberg, not in favor of raising the minimum wage. Michael Bloomberg, the best thing Joe, ever, Joe Biden ever did was ushering in mass incarceration. Michael Bloomberg, toss black people against the, against the wall, frisk them. This is who you're going to go with to defeat Donald Trump? And by the way, again, if you're coming to this late, don't, don't think that these numbers are going to stay the same. Once the African-American community, and I'm including older African-Americans, once the African-American community gets a taste of Michael Bloomberg's record, and it's not just his record, it's a laundry list of public statements that ain't staying at 22%. This is black support in the recent Quinnipiac poll. Oh, no, no, no. That's not going to stay at 22%. As vile and terrible as Trump is, you can't defeat Trump with a somewhat less vile version of Trump who's less bombastic and has a smarter political operation. His, racist is rec- his record is racist, and his words are racist. More importantly, his worldview is racist. And it's as much about being an out-of-touch plutocrat 
that has no sympathy or empathy, not all plutocrats are out of touch. A lot of plutocrats do have sympathy, do have empathy. Some plutocrats are progressive. This is not one of them. This is not one of them. And then you look into, then you look into his actual record of just totally buying his way to prominence. Uh, you know, I give the New York Times a lot of grief. But when they deserve credit, we got to give them credit. They go year by year of the amount of spending Michael Bloomberg has taken on to basically buy what you're seeing now. 2008 gives $102 million across six cities. 2009 gives $201 million across 11 cities. 2010, it goes up to $302 million. I'm just going to fast forward a little bit. 2014, 2015, crosses the billion dollars he's giving across 81 cities. You got the east, southeast, the south, the west, northwest. Of course, a lot of the money he's giving is to good causes, but he's buying political alliances and political support. Look at 2016, goes up to $1.5 billion. Look at last year they have. $2.3 billion he's giving across 103 cities. Of course, not the, a huge chunk of that money is not for good causes. It's for the only cause Michael Bloomberg truly cares about, Michael Bloomberg. Let's look at the beginning of this story, which ch- shows you exactly the problem with Michael Bloomberg and politics in general. In the fall of 2018, Emily's List had a dilemma. With congressional elections approaching and the Supreme Court confirmation battle over Judge Brett Kavanaugh underway, the Democratic Women's Group was hosting a major fundraising luncheon in New York. Among the scheduled headline speakers was Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor who had donated nearly $6 million to Emily's List over the years. Days before the event, Bloomberg made blunt comments in an interview with the New York Times expressing skepticism about the Me Too movement and questioning sexual misconduct allegations against Charlie Rose, the disgraced news anchor. Senior Emily's List officials seriously debated withdrawing Mr. Bloomberg's invitation, according to three people familiar with the deliberations who spoke on the condition of anonymity. In the end, though, the group concluded it could not risk alienating Mr. Bloomberg. And when he addressed the luncheon on September 24th, before an audience dotted with women clad in black to show solidarity with Christine Blasey Ford, the woman who accused the woman who accused Judge Kavanaugh of sexual assault, Bloomberg demonstrated why. Quote, I will be putting more money into supporting women candidates this cycle than in any than any individual ever has before. It was not an idle pledge. Bloomberg spent more than 100 million helping Democrats take control of the House of Representatives in the midterm elections. Of the 21 newly elected lawmakers he supported with his personal super PAC, all but six were women. The decision by Emily's List to mute its misgivings and embrace Mr. Bloomberg as a mighty ally foreshadowed the choice Mr. Bloomberg is now asking Democrats to make by anointing him their presidential nominee. 
There are, after all, numerous dimensions to Bloomberg's persona and record that give Democrats pause. A former Republican who joined the Democratic Party in 2018, Bloomberg has long mingled support for progressive causes with more conservative positions on law enforcement, business regulation, and school choice. He has often given voice to views that liberals find troubling. Over the past week, Bloomberg's campaign was on the defensive over past recordings. So this is an extremely long piece. Basically, you have a group in Emily's list. Is it a coincidence that they've gotten all this money from Michael Bloomberg and now are attacking Bernie Sanders? Hmm. Emily's list is also against Medicare for all. I wonder why. I think Emily's list does some good things, but it is the the, the establishment group uh, for it's the establishment women's rights group among the Democratic Party. It's a whole lot of women's rights, uh, reproductive freedom groups. Emily's list time and time again has favored pro-corporate, anti-Medicare for all uh, politicians. And now they're going after Bernie Sanders. It just so happens after receiving lots and lots of money from Michael Bloomberg. Go figure. But what you see here is organizations that are supposed to stand for core convictions. If you're Emily's list, you stand against uh, misogyny. You stand against sexism. You stand against sexual harassment. You stand against sexual assault. You stand against uh, patriarchal uh, plutocrats who treat women as unequal. But if you're Michael, if you're Michael Bloomberg, groups like this, and, and it's not just Emily's list, it's immigration groups, it's African American groups. There's a whole lot of list, um, whole lot of groups that have made this deal with the devil, so to speak. Well, his views are represented. His views are reprehensible. His public statements are reprehensible. In Michael Bloomberg's case, which I'm about to show you, I mean, it's a laundry list of sexual harassment claims against him and his organization. But we need his money to win. And that's the calculation Emily's list has made. And that's the calculation a lot of individuals are making. By the way, it just so happens that there's some lawmakers now coming out endorsing Michael Bloomberg who... Gee, gosh, jolly Jim have gotten a whole lot of political donations from Michael Bloomberg to the point, I don't have the clip in front of me, where Gregory Meeks, a corrupt Democrat from New York, has the audacity to go on CNN and say, well, I don't support Bernie Sanders because I, I, I want to vote for an actual Democrat. That's why I'm endorsing Michael Bloomberg, who just joined the Democratic Party five minutes ago. They have no consistency. There is no intellectual consistency among the corporate Democrats. They claim they care so much about identity politics and protecting vulnerable communities. But when those vulnerable communities come out to vote for Bernie Sanders in Iowa, I'm talking about the Latinos that came out to vote for Bernie Sanders in Iowa uh, satellite locations, the Muslims that came out to support Bernie Sanders and vote for him in satellite locations in Iowa. When that happens, oh, to hell with identity politics. We have to try and weigh down. We have to water down those minorities' votes. This is what the Democratic Party tried to do. Tom Perez literally came out saying, enough is enough. We need to do a re-canvassing in Iowa when it was becoming evident that Bernie Sanders was closing the gap and he was actually going to win the caucus. He comes out because Pete Buttigieg's campaign complained that they wanted the delegates to be count, count less than uh, other delegates, those delegates from the satellite loca- locations, which happened to be locations that Latinos came and voted for Bernie, Muslims came and voted for Bernie, black people came and voted for Bernie. 
So I guess the vulnerable communities only matter when it's politically beneficial to the corporate wing of the Democratic Party. When it's not politically expedient, when it's not politically beneficial, no, we don't need them. Honestly, if you look at the claims against Michael Bloomberg and his organization, particularly in the area of sexual harassment, I do not know how any person who claims to be champions of women, who claims to be champions of reproductive rights, who claim to be champions of equal pay for equal work, I don't know how anyone could support this cretin. And frankly, as somebody who has negatively experienced uh, you know, what happens when false accusations are made against you, I am personally somebody who strongly believes in looking at the evidence. I am somebody who believes in you're not guilty by tweet. But there is enough of a pattern with Michael Bloomberg to overwhelmingly conclude that he has a very, very, very disgusting, sexist, misogynistic, and patriarchal view of the world. This is from the Washington Post. Again, pretty good story. Got to give him credit. I just took a hell of a lot of screenshots. This was a story they just did. This is what Bloomberg, in, in a lawsuit against him from a former employee, on April 11th, 1995, at approximately 11.20 a.m., Bloomberg was having a photograph taken with two female company salespeople and a group of NYU business school students in the company snack area. When Bloomberg noticed Garrison, who was the employee, standing nearby, he asked, why didn't they ask you to be in the picture? I guess they saw your face. Continuing his penchant for, ridiculous, for ridiculing recently married women who were employed by him, Bloomberg asked the plaintiff, how's married life? Are you married? Plaintiff responded that her marriage was great and was going to get better in a few months, that she was pregnant and the baby was due the following September. He responded to her, kill it. Plaintiff asked Bloomberg to repeat himself, and again he said, kill it, and muttered, great, number 16, suggesting to plaintiff his unhappiness that 16 women in the company had maternity-related status. Then he walked away. For years, the disputed kill it comment has been a central focus of questions about how Bloomberg treated women. David Zeilenzieger, a former Bloomberg techno technology writer, told the Post he was there and heard the conversation. Quote, I remember she had been telling some of her girlfriends that she was pregnant, uh, Zeilenzieger said. And Mike came out and I remember he said, are you going to kill it? And that stopped everything. And I couldn't believe it. Uh, Zeilenzieger said he never talked to Garrison about what he heard and did not participate in her lawsuit. He said Bloomberg's question was crude, inappropriate, and typical. He talked kind of crudely about women all the time. Shortly after the incident, Bloomberg called Garrison's home phone and left a lengthy voicemail, according to her handwritten, handwritten notes of the call obtained by the Washington Post. Quote, when you have time, give me a buzz or stop by, the CEO said. I didn't even know you were pregnant until the other day. Bloomberg said that another employee had told him you were upset. He said, quote, whatever you heard wasn't what I said, and whatever I said had nothing to do with pregnancies. Bloomberg concluded the voicemail by saying he, quote, couldn't be happier you were having a child, and, quote, I apologize if there was something you heard, but I didn't say it, didn't mean it, didn't say it. I mean, 
on top of the original offense, again, you have eyewitnesses who heard him say it. You then have him basically trying to tell the women, tell, tell the woman in this case, uh, I apologize, but you're lying. I apologize if you imagined hearing something, but I didn't say it. I mean, <laughs> that is, that, that goes beyond misogyny and sexism to just like a gaslighting of epic proportions. Hey, you know, you think I, you think I called you uh, a bad word? You think I made an anti-Semitic comment to you? You think I made a racist comment to you? You think I made a sexist comment to you? Uh, clean out your ears. I apologize if you thought you heard something, but clean out your ears. I never said it. Oh, these other people who heard me say it? Yeah, no, they're wrong too. Can you imagine being that arrogant? Believing that the rules just don't apply to you? Not actually apologizing and saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I meant it as a joke, or I, I, you know, I don't even know what I was thinking saying that. That's a terrible thing to say. I'm so, so sorry, blah, 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 blah. No, I didn't say it. What's he going to do as president? Is he going to bomb other countries and say, I, I didn't, I didn't bomb, we didn't bomb him, it wasn't us. Don't believe what I say, believe what I say. <laughs> exactly. It gets worse. It gets worse. In her lawsuit, in her lawsuit, Garrison said she complained to managers, but they told her to, quote, forget it never happened, forget it ever happened. A few months later, Garrison alleged Bloomberg directed her firing. She did, not respond to a, she did not respond to a request for comment for The Washington Post. Garrison's initial lawyer in the case, Bonnie Joseph, said of her former client, quote, she's completely credible. She said Garrison's allegation that Bloomberg told her to, quote, kill it was an anti-female statement in the employment context. She had a good cause of action. She said Bloomberg should authorize the release of the deposition and let them be subjected to public scrutiny. If you haven't been paying attention and you could read it in the piece, Michael Bloomberg has said he will not, he will not release uh, women who sued him or the company from their non-disclosure agreements. Well, if you're not going to release them from their non-disclosure agreements, there's only a few reasons. One, you're scared shit that the details of those non-disclosure agreements and what was actually said and done are going to come out. B, it goes beyond the presidency. You don't, you don't want your business to take a hit. Take a hit. Bloomberg's business, uh, uh, Bloomberg News, but more specifically, the Bloomberg business terminal that Wall Street uses for their uh, inf you know, financial information. Uh, once those details come out, that could be bad for business. So Michael Bloomberg, and remember, the one time Donald Trump has apologized for anything as a politician was when the Access Hollywood tape came out. Remember that? When he said you could just grab women by the beep, you know, whether they want it or not. That's the only time he came out and apologized. Why do you think he came out and apologized? Was it because Melania told him? No, because it could have tanked his business empire. That's why Donald Trump came out and apologized. But Michael Bloomberg... If he don't want those non-disclosure agreements out there because it would be a disaster for his business and because he doesn't want the truth to be exposed about the things he said, the conditions he allowed, and just the total crude behavior. Upon information and belief in 1989, when a male company salesperson was getting married, Bloomberg said to the female salespeople, quote, 
All of you girls line up to give him oral sex as a wedding present. He, reperd- he repeated like words on several occasions in each of the year years plaintiff was employed at the company. Of course, this is an allegation. Uh, I can't indep- independently confirm it, but there's a whole lot of witnesses backing up that these statements were made, that this was the culture Michael Bloomberg created at Bloomberg. Here's another one. Upon information and belief in October 1989, Bloomberg was unhappy with the outcome of a business meeting. He said to a newly hired female company salesperson, if the clients told you to lay down and strip naked so they could fuck you, would you do that too? He repeated similar words or substance at frequent intervals uh, throughout the period of plaintiff's employment. Upon information and belief in or about July 1993, Bloomberg heard that a female company salesperson who had just had a baby was having difficulty finding a nanny. He yelled loudly at her in the presence of a large group of employees, quote, it's a fucking baby. All it does is eat and shit. It doesn't know the difference between you and anyone else. All you need is some black who doesn't even have to speak English to rescue it from a burning building. All you need is some black who doesn't even have to speak English to rescue it from a burning building. The salesperson cried at hearing her employer say such things to her in so public a manner. Yeah, this is definitely who you want to get out the African-American vote. This is definitely who you want to get out the Latino vote. This is definitely who you want to galvanize the young people in America. Oh my God, what a disaster. What a disaster. Shortly after Garrison left the company, this is the woman who was pregnant uh, and experiencing uh, Michael Bloomberg telling her to kill her child. Shortly after she left the company, an employee named Mary Ann Olszewski sued Bloomberg LP in 1996, alleging that she was drugged and raped by her supervisor. She said that employees from Bloomberg on down engaged in a pattern and practice of, quote, sexual degradation of women and that Bloomberg made comments about employees such as, quote, I'd like to do that piece of meat. Olszewski, who worked as a sales representative, said in her suit that the company, quote, took no steps to prevent or curtail the ongoing sexual harassment of female employees by Michael Bloomberg. After Olszewski allegedly was raped by a supervisor in a Chicago hotel room, Bloomberg was informed. He later described his response in a deposition, an excerpt of which was first published by the Village Voice in 2001. The full deposition has never been made public. Ozuski could not be reached for comment. Bloomberg was asked in the deposition what would constitute, quote, satisfactory proof that one of his employees had been raped by another. Quote, I guess an unimpeachable third party witness, he responded. The lawyer seemed stunned. In what kind of rape, he asked Bloomberg, would there be a third-party witness? Quote, there are times when three people are together, Bloomberg responded. But Bloomberg said if there were only two people present and they gave conflicting accounts, there would be no way to know who is telling the truth. And quote, all we could do is provide separate working environments for the two. Yeah, no way to know. You know, there's no such thing as a rape kit. There's no such thing as looking at the male, being accused. Do they have a criminal history? Do they have a violent history? Have other women 
in the company or in that person's life experienced aggressive behavior by that male? Were there other people maybe not in the room, but saw the two together that night? There's no way to know. If the guy says, I didn't do it, the girl says he did, there's no way to know. It's just unreal. Caucus worker warns Nevada is on the path to becoming another Iowa. A Nevada caucus worker is warning that the upcoming caucus, quote, is going to be worse than Iowa if it's not fixed. Seth Morrison said he's slated to work as a site leader overseeing six North Las Vegas precincts in the upcoming primary. Quote, I'm feeling very concerned. As a Democrat, I want the caucuses to work. I want them to be successful, but I'm afraid we're on the path to becoming another Iowa. Fox 5 has repeatedly attempted to contact the Nevada Democratic Party with questions about the upcoming caucus. Tuesday, uh, Tuesday we were granted an interview with a party leader on conditions the, the, at only early voting would be discussed. Wow. Early voting is a concern uh, of Morrison. Nevada's caucus system differs from Iowa in that there's early voting in the silver state. Quote, the technology to combine the results from early to caucus day, which is supposed to be handled by this company called Shadow, clearly didn't work. They're trying to come up with a fix at the last minute and have not convinced me and many others that they have a fix that will work. The Nevada Democratic Party's been tight-lipped about the app's replacement. Morrison asked about its status this week. Quote, the status is, we're working on it. Trust me. And if I tell you who did it, then they'll be hacked. Ugh. So the Nevada State Democratic Party is using the same ridiculous talking points that the Iowa State Democratic Party. We can't tell you who's working on the quote-unquote digital tool, as they're calling it. They're saying we're not using an app. We're using a digital tool. When Fox 5 and Status Coup has reached out, because I've reached out, crickets. To Morrison's knowledge, some kind of app or tool will be preloaded onto tablets, distributed to site leaders like him, then given to the volunteers working. Quote, I was in an all-day training with about 300 or 400 volunteers, and half of them were walking around on Saturday saying, what? How does this work? There were people in that room who said, I've never used an iPad. From the undisclosed app slash tool developer, plans to distribute the iPads ahead of time to volunteers without any real vetting, Morrison says he's scared stiff about the caucus. On Saturday afternoon, during that training, I talked to three or four friends. I said, this is dangerous. This is going to be worse than Iowa, if not fixed. I talked to party officials who refused to talk to me. I was told by others who called elected, who called electeds who refused to talk, and I realized that I'd rather blow the whistle now than risk it all falling apart on caucus day. So the Nevada caucus is... Six days away. Six days away. We do not know what exactly is this tool they're using. We do not know who is the developer for this tool. They're not using the tool for early voting, but they are using the tool for day of caucus voting. Just like in Iowa, we had no idea who the developer was of, in the case of Iowa, an app. In the case of Nevada, a tool. But I don't know what a tool means. 
to me, obviously, if you're using an iPad, you could have apps on your iPad, just like you could have apps on your phone. So to me, tools sound like misdirection and a, and a, f- a, a, a funny word for an app. Obfuscation, my girlfriend says. And I reached out to the Nevada State Democratic Party yesterday, and here's what I wrote. I said, Molly, she's the communications director. Jordan, with status quo, I'm being told by multiple sources who've received online training to chair caucus precincts in the upcoming Nevada caucus that they are being told a separate training for the digital tool being used to transmit, to transmit results will come later. They've received no exact date or information on what exactly this digital tool is. Questions. What is the digital tool? Second, what is the company? Who is the company or developer behind it? Three, was the national DNC involved with the development or or contracting with this company? Four, what is the purpose for using this digital tool? Five, why is it caucus volunteers are not receiving information on the digital tool? Shockingly, didn't get a response. And I'm hearing from multiple sources on the ground. When I say sources, I'm talking about volunteers, people in training, uh, doing online training uh, to be precinct chairs for the Bernie Sanders campaign in Nevada. You know, each campaign has their own precinct chairs. Um, So I've been talking to multiple people who are telling me the online training doesn't say a word about a digital tool on caucus day. When we ask the people running the training, who no offense, happen to be older boomers, we are, te- we are told, oh yeah, we'll, we'll get you that information later. How, it, how is it that six days before the uh, Nevada caucus, we don't have anything? I don't... I don't, I don't trust the phrasing of a digital tool. I don't trust not knowing who is behind the digital tool. I don't trust not knowing is the company behind the digital tool, have they received any money from Pete Buttigieg's campaign or Joe Biden's campaign or Elizabeth Warren's campaign or Amy Klobuchar's campaign or anybody's campaign? Have they, how much money have they received or how much business have they done with the Democratic National Committee? who it later came out, was very, very involved with the Shadow app. I mean, it's just preposterous. How does a country that claims to be a leading democracy, the envy of the rest of the world, do their elections like this? And I don't want to hear anymore that this is incompetence. This is intentional chaos. They are intentionally creating chaos. You know what the responsible thing to do would be? You know what the responsible thing to do would be? If you actually had an interest, if you're the DNC or the or the Nevada State Party, after seeing the giant catastrophe that was Iowa, it would be to totally wipe your hands. We're not using an app. We're not using digital. We obviously need four more years to figure this digital stuff out in or enable to in order to use it effectively, state by state. But we can't do it in two weeks. We're not using an app. We're not using iPads. We're not using a digital tool. We're doing it the old-fashioned way. Paper ballots. Call in the results like they've been doing for years. Maybe it's a little harder, but it's more effective. 
Sure, there's there are going to be shenanigans. There is going to be free. Where I've already heard from multiple sources on the ground that just early voting, there has been crazy, crazy long lines for this early voting, but because they don't know what they're doing. They have people that are barely trained at these early voting sites. Um, so it, it's just unbelievable to me that six days before the Nevada caucus, we still don't know several things. We don't know what is the digital tool they are using. Is it an app? We don't know the purpose for the digital tool. They say it's to transmit the results. Well, the Nevada State Party hasn't confirmed that. They won't release who is behind the digital tool. Who, are the, who is the developer behind the digital tool? Claiming the same thing, the same ridiculous thing that the Iowa State Party Claimed, And by the way, when I say the Iowa State Democratic Party, I really mean the DNC because the DNC was the one calling the shots, as we've found out since. They're not claiming it, claiming they could be hacked. Well, people who worked for the parent company of Shadow, reports came out saying before the Iowa caucus, they didn't understand why they weren't releasing the information, citing releasing the information did not open it up to being hacked any more than it was already opened up to being hacked. The truth is they probably aren't releasing the company because it's probably another tech company with ties to corporate establishment candidates. Whether in the case of Shadow, it was run by four former Hillary Clinton staffers from Hillary's 2016 campaign. It was the company received $42,000 from Pete Buttigieg's campaign, also received uh, a lesser amount from Joe Biden's campaign. The reason they're not releasing the information is not because of a fear of it being hacked. There's probably, if you follow the money, financial connections to either current candidates, former candidates, or the DNC itself.